Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Well, let's open God's Word now. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we'll be this morning. I don't know about the way your Bible breaks down these verses, but you'll probably see that the very end of verse 2 begins a new thought, a new section. So we'll begin there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the latter half of verse 2, where Paul says to Timothy, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for this opportunity to gather and worship You, to sing Your praises, to remember Your Gospel, to be encouraged by our fellowship with one another, and to be reminded that we are a church that stands upon the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to know it deeply and intimately. As we sing it over our fellowship, as it is read to us, as it is declared, as it is taught, and as we meditate on it and preach the gospel to ourselves daily, Father, help us to stand true to the word that you have revealed, the self-revelation of God to us in your word. Lord, put it deep in our bones, put it deep into our hearts, and let our minds be filled with its truth so that we can discern the truth from the errors that surround us. Lord, help us today as we study your word. Give us clarity and understanding. And where conviction needs to be uh, present in us, Lord, I pray that you by your spirit would convict us. Where we have strayed after other lovers, where we have strayed after false teaching, where we've followed something that might feel good or sound good, but is not consistent with your word. Lord, I pray that you would confront us. And for those of us who have been through a season of following after something that is false, Lord, I pray that today you would comfort and encourage us, that you would help us to see that your word is truth and we are to be sanctified in your word. Lord, so have your way with us and accomplish your purpose in preparing us as a body to know the truth and to walk in it faithfully. I pray that in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. As you can see from the text and the introduction that was made in our call to worship and even in our scripture reading, today's topic is a challenging one. It's about false teaching. It's about heresy in the church. And heresy is and has always been big business. When Simon the magician saw the power of God in the ministry of Peter and John in Acts chapter 8, he sought to obtain through money the power that they wielded. He wanted to possess for himself the ability to manipulate crowds of people. He wanted 
the kind of power that would cause people to pay attention to him because that was what he was accustomed to. But when Peter saw what he was asking for, he saw right through the man and he told Simon, he said, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Repent and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. Y'all probably remember that story. It's not the only one that we've seen. Throughout history, the church has faced one after another false teachers who were motivated by pride, caused division in the church, and got rich in the process. One of the leading voices in the modern so-called health, wealth, and prosperity movement is a man by the name of Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson is the pastor of Bethel Church and leader of Jesus culture. He leads a movement of young adults from Redding, California. Bill and his young disciples consider themselves equal with the first century apostles, wielding supposed signs and wonders as evidence. I say supposed signs and wonders because they are not consistent with the signs and wonders we see in Scripture. Bethel represents what we call the third wave of the Word of Faith movement, It's modernly referred to as the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR for short. And you're likely familiar with this, perhaps familiar with Bethel from the influence of their music, but you should be aware of their bizarre and totally unbiblical ministry practices. Such practices include, and I quote, Bethel students travel to rest on the graves of historic Christian leaders in a practice called grave-sucking, where they hope to obtain the spiritual power of long-dead Christian leaders. Benny Johnson, Bill's wife, teaches that she is able to speak personally to angels, and students at the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry are taught that they can not only speak to angels, but they can learn to see them, and if they learn to blow the shofar just right, they can wake up angels that have fallen asleep. Feathers and gold dust are said to miraculously fall from the ceiling during Bethel worship. Bethel students walk through fire tunnels, frolic in groups on the floor, and are told to breathe on others to make them whole. And all of this follows the lead of Bill Johnson, who they call Papa Bill, and he teaches that God wants everyone to be healthy and that sickness in your life is an evidence of sin. And these outrageous stories are part of a growing movement that is not only completely unbiblical, but it has more in common with Eastern mystical paganism than it does with biblical Christianity. Those who promote false teaching, those associated with this movement that are promoting false teaching, they are getting paid bukus of money. They're raking in paychecks that are higher than anything we've seen throughout church history even rivaling the Catholic Church. But for all of the new and strange teaching in the world today, the false teachers themselves haven't changed all that much from what we see in the Bible. Going all the way back to Genesis 3 and the first false teacher, the first one to distort the Word of God and lead God's people astray, on to Deuteronomy where we are, we are told that there will be some who are able to perform signs and wonders, but in doing so, they will seek to lead God's people to follow after other gods. 
I mean, this is all throughout the scriptures. And one of the things that Paul helps us to understand is there are some essential qualities in these teachers that can help us to spot them. He gives us three criteria here. Number one, they deviate from the faith. Number two, they divide the church. And number three, they desire money above godliness. Those are our three points this morning. Let's look back at the end of verse 2 and understand that false teachers deviate from the faith. Paul says, teach and urge these things. And it's a reference to what he's been teaching him for five chapters in this letter. Teach and urge these things. But if anyone teaches a different doctrine, a doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. You see, there are two types of teachers that are mentioned here, the true and the false. Timothy is a true teacher because he teaches and urges the body of Christ to follow the sound words of Jesus. He teaches from the pure motive of shepherding believers in the truth. He uses the gifts that God has given him and the platform of ministry that has been afforded to him to glorify God and not himself. That is his task. He teaches and urges these things, which makes up what we understand to be the body of Christian orthodoxy, sound doctrine that's not focused on personal gain, but it's focused on biblical truth and a pursuit of true godliness. The false teacher in this passage does the opposite. He or she, in some cases, teach a different body of doctrine. He teaches what is contrary to the sound words of Christ. His instruction fails to comply with the standard of godliness that Christ establishes. False teachers deviate from the truth. And when they do this, they stir up controversy and division. They teach for personal gain and they lead people deeper into sin and idolatry rather than out of it. That's what we see throughout the scriptures and especially in this passage. But what about modern false teachers? Modern false teachers prioritize things like felt needs over faithfulness to God's word and the gospel. They want to elevate the, they want to elevate man, they want to elevate your thoughts, your desires, your sensibilities, rather than to maximize the glory of God revealed in the Word of God and spoken in the truth of the gospel. There's a, there's a massive shift that takes place away from God towards man. They redefine the focus of Christian teaching, and thus they redefine what it means to be a Christian. If you do these things, then you're a Christian. If you don't do these things, then you're not a Christian, whether the Scriptures tell us that or not. They are very interested in novelty, something new, something that they can write out that, that grabs attention and can sell on a book list. They're always learning, but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth, and in the end, they oppose the gospel, and they inject their own brand of worldly wisdom in its place. And throughout this letter, Paul has made it very clear that there is, in fact, a standard of teaching and doctrine that is consistent with faith in Christ. There is a standard of belief that is required, a body of truth that accurately reflects the gospel message. And Timothy is to teach and urge these things. To be a faithful teacher of the gospel a man must adhere to this clear standard of Scripture. What is the standard of Scripture? In a general sense, the standard of Scripture is the whole of God's Word. 
And in a more specific sense, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, clearly and faithfully understood. And within our tradition as a Reformed church, we have a set of principles that help us to stay rooted to the truth of biblical Christianity in both ways, the broader understanding of the Word of God and then that more narrow or clear understanding of the gospel. And those five principles are what we call the five solas of the Reformation. Are you all familiar with that? Some of us are. The first one is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. All of our doctrine and theology must be clearly and thoroughly grounded in the scriptures, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. Not grounded in the words of man, but grounded in the words of God. The Bible is without error. It is infallible. It is clear, and it teaches us everything that we need to make us wise for salvation and to equip us to live a faithful life in Christ. Our theology and our ministry, our methods and our message are to remain rooted to the Word of God in every way. The second principle is solus Christus, Christ alone. All of our doctrine and theology must be clearly focused upon the person and work of Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the main point of all of Scripture. The whole Bible testifies to Him. The whole Bible helps us to understand our need of Him. And in His glorious descension into this world, we see the whole point of what God is doing in His plan of redeeming humanity from our sin. Jesus is the main point of Scripture. He is the one and only Son of God who lived and died and rose again to give us the only hope of salvation that exists in this universe. He is the way and the truth and the life and no man will come to the Father but by Him. Modern false teaching shifts the focus away from Christ and on to man. Christ becomes a means to an end. And that end is most likely some desire within man, some need for experience, some human desire. That's what they're focusing on. It, the, the false teaching of today minimizes a trust and reliance upon the Word of God and upon Christ alone, and it elevates human needs, desires, and even experiences. Rather than living for the glory of Christ, false teachers promote living for the glory of man. The third principle that helps us to stay rooted to the truth of the gospel is sola fide, faith alone. All of our doctrine and theology must be clearly driven by faith in our triune and holy God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith is actually a gift from God, which means there is no merit in our faith. We are not saved by good works, but only by a genuine faith consisting of knowledge, agreement, and trust in the Lord alone for our salvation. Number four, sola gratia, grace alone. All of our doctrine and theology must rely on the grace of God. All of mankind has sinned and fallen short of God's righteous standard. We deserve nothing from God except what our sin and our guilt deserve, which is His judgment. And yet, in His divine prerogative, God extends His grace to sinners like you and me. Grace is God's generous disposition toward His people. He has a desire to show us, to give us, to grant us what we have not earned, what we do not deserve. In Christ, He has done that very thing. It is by an act of God's grace that He lavishes us with salvation and all good things. And it is by grace alone that we are saved and reconciled to the Father. 
Ephesians 2 makes that very clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, it's not the result of works, so that no one may boast. So those false teachers who want to add certain things, certain practices, or certain spiritual gifts, or whatever it might be to faith in order for you to prove your salvation, they are absolutely inconsistent with what the Scriptures teach. And the last principle is sola deo gloria, for God's glory alone. All of our doctrine and theology must be directed to the glory of God. We were created for God's glory. We were saved for God's glory. We live for God's glory. We worship to glorify God, and our future will be filled with an everlasting experience of God's glorious presence. It's all about His glory. And Paul notes this in Romans 11 when he says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him be glory forever. Amen. You see, these five solas, they're just a summary of the standard of Christian doctrine that we hold to, and by adhering to them, we work to guard and clarify the message of the gospel. These principles flow from the Word of God, and they produce in us a true faith as well as a true faithfulness. False teachers deviate from this. They teach ideas that flow from the sinful mind of man that is puffed up with conceit and ignorance. And I'll give you an example. One such teacher named Stephen Furtick, he recently preached a sermon saying that there is one thing that even Jesus can't do. There's one thing that the Son of God can't do. Even Jesus can't override your unbelief. Now, there are, or at least there is a body of understanding of things that God can't do. In other words, God cannot go against his character and his nature and his purpose. But this is absolutely false. This is 100% ludicrous. It is contrary to what the scriptures teach. Jesus is the only one who can override our unbelief. He is the only one who can open the eyes of the blind. He is the only one who can raise the dead to life. And he is the only one that can make us alive in the Spirit, though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You see, false statements like this turn God from an omnipotent dispenser of saving grace into an impotent observer that must wait on man to accomplish his purpose. It might sound good. A new thing, completely foreign to Scripture. False teachers are guilty of a serious offense. I was just reading and discussing with Cody earlier. You know, the, the New Testament is really strong. The language of Jesus and the apostles is really strong in the direction of showing the, the error of false teachers. Jesus says things like, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and to be thrown into the sea than for you to lead one of my children astray. That's strong language. When you go back to the Old Testament, the language is even stronger. In Deuteronomy 13, we are told that even if a prophet comes to you and is able to perform a sign and a wonder, and in doing so, they lead you after false gods, that false prophet is to be put to death. The language is really strong because these men and women are guilty of a great offense to God and to his people. They claim to speak for God, but they deny him by their words by deviating from his revealed truth. And this deviation results in a division within the church. So false teachers not only deviate from the truth, but look at verse 5. False teachers divide the church. 
He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. In short, false teachers are divisive. Rather than promoting unity in the church centered around sound doctrine, false teachers promote division in the church on account of their unhealthy craving for controversy. And these terms are really descriptive here. The term unhealthy that Paul uses here is a term noseo in the Greek, and from it we get our term nausea. That's a, that's a friendly term, right? They make us nauseous. These, the idea is that these false teachers have a sickly, nauseous interest in stirring up disagreements and controversies. They have this morbid passion to create trouble in part because they are puffed up with conceit. They like the attention that it affords them. By contrast, he says that faithful teachers promote sound doctrine. And that word sound there is the word that we get uh, we get our term hygiene from it. So sound doctrine is healthy, it's free of disease, while false doctrine is nauseating and it promotes the spread of envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction. That's a word picture that Paul wants us to see here. What do those words mean? Envy. Envy is a resentment of other people and their gifts. Rather than in the church, us being thankful to God for the multiplicity of gifts that he gives and being thankful that God has given some the gift of speaking or preaching or teaching or counseling or music, we envy their gifts. And rather than supporting them and being thankful, we're envious. That's what happens here. The word dissension means strife and conflict with other people. Rather than being unified upon the foundation of the gospel and God's word, there's this conflict, always wanting a new idea, always wanting our day in the sun, always wanting our five minutes of fame. The word slander is to abuse others with speech that damages their reputation. So rather than building one another up in love and with speech that is seasoned with grace, there's this constant abuse and this intention to one-up the other and to speak negatively about our brothers and sisters to damage their reputation. And this is what the false teaching produces. Evil suspicions, to be wickedly doubtful about the integrity and love of other people rather than Believing the best about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then constant friction. That's an easy one. It's to be constantly inclined towards bickering and disagreement with others. This is what comes from the false teaching. Rather than promoting unity and love among the people of God, false teaching is like a cancer that eats the church from the inside. It twists our relationship. It brings division into the church. But notice that The false teachers aren't the only ones guilty of this. This is the product. This is the result of their ministry. And notice that Paul points out that false teaching has a specific effect on those who are inclined toward it. He says it seeks out those who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. You know that category of people that just seem to constantly lean into controversy? They're just thriving on stirring up contention. Paul says that part of the reason for that is the state of their minds. The word he says here, he uses the word depraved. The word depraved means to be completely corrupted. 
their understanding is completely corrupted by their sinful nature. And the reason for this corruption is because their minds are deprived of the truth. So they have a corrupted mind because they don't have the truth. They think they do, but they have a false gospel, a false understanding of what is true. And and the, the New Testament gives us a lot of understanding about the mind of man. The natural man, the natural mind of man is darkened in its understanding doesn't have light, it's in darkness. Our natural will, our desire is, is set against, the, against God and it's uh, directed by our own sinful nature. Our conscience is twisted by sin and our understanding is limited to, to, to the things of this world. Here's what that means. Even the most educated mind as an unbeliever is captive to the sinful impulses of fallen humanity. They may understand the laws of thermodynamics, but they don't understand the truth of God. They're still darkened in their understanding. The New Testament teaches that the mind of man is the organ of rational discernment. It's through our minds that we perceive reality and make willful determinations about what is true. But if we are left to ourselves, our minds remain in a state of corruption. And Paul describes the mind of man apart from God's saving grace Throughout the scriptures, I'll give you two instances. Titus 3, he says this in Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's a description of the result of the sinful mind of man. He goes into greater detail in Romans chapter 1 when he tells us that the natural mind suppresses the truth of God. Here's what he says. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They, they, they thought they understood the mind of God, but they become idolaters. In verse 28, he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers and haters of God and insolent and haughty and boastful and inventors of evil and disobedient to parents. I always like to point out that that's in that category. Disobedient to parents. They are foolish and faithless and heartless and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is, this is a description of the natural mind of man. And it is constantly inventing new ideas, new thoughts, and putting the name of God on them. And the scriptures help us understand over and over again that this is false teaching at its core. The natural state of the human mind is totally corrupt and the only thing that can set our mind on the right track is the regenerating power of the Spirit of God. We can't do this on our own. We need the power of the Spirit of God. When we are born again to faith in Christ, our minds are made alive to the truth of God. And as we grow in faith, our minds are being renewed by the Word of God and made able to discern the will of God. And this is a lifelong process. 
This is something that we are continually devoted to as the people of God. Just like the early church were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching in Acts chapter 2. After they became believers, we are the same. We are a church who is continually devoting ourselves to the transforming power of the Word of God. We're being renewed day by day as we look to the Word and understand the truth that God has revealed in His self-disclosure to us. We need the Word, not just in the beginning of our lives of faith, but throughout our lives of faith. Like Cody mentioned earlier, we need to be able to spot the false because we're so familiar with the true. False teachers don't promote this kind of thing. They don't promote this discernment. They don't promote the the Berean spirit of testing all things according to the Word of God. Instead, they promote feelings and experience. They want to go outside the box. They want to go outside the path. They want you to experience something new. They don't want you to have that uh, religious spirit in you. They want you to be open to whatever God might show you or whatever God might say or whatever God might do. Well, God's going to act consistently with what He has revealed. These false teachers, they push emotionalism, which rejects the warnings of a biblically informed conscience. You see, false teachers and those who follow after them have not had their minds renewed by the Spirit of God. Like the seed that was sown on the unfavorable soil, the truth of the Word of God was either plucked up, choked out, or burned away by the cares of the world. They had access to the truth, but they were deprived of it. That's what Paul says here. Literally, the word means it was robbed away from them. The truth of the Word was robbed away from them, and they believed the lie instead. So false teachers, they deviate from the faith, the truth. They divide the church and add falsehood to the corruption of men's minds. And then lastly, they desire money above true godliness. False teachers imagine that godliness is a means of gain. Paul strips back their falsehood, their pseudo-impressions, and he shows us what their true motives are. They have no real interest in godliness itself, but only the potential financial gain that comes to those who hope to cash in on their hypocrisy. I hope you get the picture that Paul doesn't have a lot of respect for these false teachers, and neither did Jesus, by the way. Listen to what Jesus says about them in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And you will be able to recognize them. So we have to be able to recognize them. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree that bears good fruit, uh, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. So when Jesus tells us to beware of these false prophets, he means that we need to be alert to their presence, on guard against their influence, and we need to avoid them. In other words, stay away from them. He's not warning us about them so that we can go out and and play with them. Or try to tame them or defang them. You don't play with a ravenous wolf. That's why Jesus says avoid them and their influence. These men and women are often difficult to spot. Because as Jesus says, they're in disguise. They are wolves, but they look like sheep. The word that Jesus uses here for false is pseudo. Which means they're lying about their identity. 
And we see other passages in Scripture that help us to understand them. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, such men are false apostles. They are deceitful workmen. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it should not surprise his servants also that they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness and their end will correspond to their deeds. You see, what, what Paul does in 2 Corinthians there is he reminds us of the first one to pull off the devilish disguise. It was the devil himself. He came to Eve in the garden disguised as a serpent, peddling lies, sowing rebellion, causing destruction, seeking his own glory. He looked like any other snake, but his fangs were poisoned with something unique His mouth was filled with lies and he passed on his practices to the false teachers we see today. Peter tells us how they go about their work. In 2 Peter 2 and verse 1 he says, False prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. They are false, they hide, they look like sheep, but they're actually wolves. They are doing their work in secret oftentimes. And that's why the heretic here, at least this category, is one of the most dangerous of all. They deny the essential truths of the faith. They take God's word and they deny it. They take the essential doctrines of the faith, like the doctrine of the Trinity, the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, the salvation by grace alone and through faith alone, the full deity and humanity of Jesus, all of these things, and they twist those things and they bring them into the church to try to bring the church into a point of division and destruction. And they want to profit financially. There's a profit motive to it. They see ministry as a means to that end. I know this a lot. Cody was talking with me earlier. He said it's like you just threw the kitchen sink in there for this one. Maybe so, but we need to be aware of what we're dealing with. Because this is not just in one little avenue False teaching is creeping into the church in all different manner of ways, whether it's through charismatic excess or it's through new identity politics. And men are being told that they can be women and women are being told that they can be men and they don't understand that the the gospel and the scriptures have have spoken very clearly on that, that God made us male and female. This is coming at us from every direction. And we need to understand it. We need to take it seriously. That means when you open up your social media and you begin to see all of these things that are being said by all of these people, you need to be discerning and you need to practice that Berean spirit to determine whether or not what you're reading that sounds good to your ear is actually consistent with the Word of God before you forward it on to someone else. When you turn on the television and you see what appear to be teachers, they've got this great big platform And TBN loves to promote them. And they claim to be Christians and they hold their Bibles in the air, but they don't open them and explain them in a way that is consistent with the rest of Scripture. This is happening all the time. It's happening all around us. And we need to understand what the Scripture has to say about this. False teachers deviate from the truth. They aim to divide the church. And they desire money above true godliness. False teachers spread lies, and we must be able to spot them. In John 10, Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And no, that's not a hyper-spiritual understanding of this quiet voice inside your head. Jesus is referring to the Word of God. 
We need to learn to recognize the voice of Jesus in the Word of God. We need to be able to know the Word of God and apply it to our lives. We need to know the Word of God enough that we can spot when something is off. We need to know what Jesus says in His Word and be able to recognize when a teacher is off-key. Our hearts and our minds and our lives must remain tuned to Christ, and that means we need His Word. So brother, sister, friend, are you committed to the Word of God? It's not fashionable in our culture today. In fact, it's never really been fashionable. You don't come to Christ because it's fashionable. You come to Christ for salvation from your sin. But as we begin to walk and grow and learn and, and, and have our minds shaped, our minds are to be shaped by the Word of God, the pure and unadulterated Word of God, over and over again, That's why from this pulpit, you probably won't hear much novelty. You will hear the same old teaching coming back to the Word of God, trying to explain what we see here in as clear terms as possible and apply it to our hearts, because this is where our hope lies. And this is where our hope lies when it comes to understanding the mind of God. This is God's self-disclosure. He has revealed Himself to us here, and we need to be so familiar with it That when we hear something that is off-key, we spot it. So we need Christ, we need His Word, we need His cross, and we need one another so that we can stay on key. Otherwise, false teachers will come. They will bring division. False teachers will come and turn Christians against their leadership, Christians against Christians, turn Christians against their master, Peter says. But the true disciples of Christ will be sanctified in the truth as Jesus prayed. And then he went on and said, God's Word is that truth. So let me pray for us that that would be the end. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have in your providence and in your plan not only confirmed your word, you have revealed your word, you have spoken through the prophets by the movement of your Holy Spirit, but you have also preserved your word for us today and we can trust it. And you have given it to us to shape our minds and our hearts and our ministries and our message And so, Lord, I pray today that as the Word of God was spoken, that you would accomplish your purpose in our hearts to illumine the truth and where we have strayed after other teachings. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction in the conversations that may need to happen as a result of this message. Lord, I pray that they would happen in such a way that you would be glorified and your Word would be upheld. But I do pray for us as a people that we would be aware, that we would be on guard against the falsehood by having the Word of God so deeply ingrained and embedded in our hearts and minds that we can, we can spot when things are off. Lord, help us to be gracious. Help us to be kind to one another. Help us not to be those who've been led astray and, and produce division. Help us to be unified as a church because we're focused all on the same goal, the same tuning fork. And that tuning fork is Christ and your Word. Lord, we thank you and, and we pray for our hearts to be shaped appropriately by the word today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.